All right, jumping back in with some cognitive distortions. If you missed it, go back to and start with part one, where we talked a lot about future picks. We talked a little about Josh Allen. We talked a lot about Josh Allen, actually. And we've got several more for you. So we're going to jump right back in, pick up right where we left off with Stompy with a cognitive distortion of his own for us. So I feel like I've had this conversation too much recently, and it really is centered around Leonard Fournette. And this is me calling out my (laughs) other podcast partner, Aton Mosia. But... I feel like people make the argument that all players or all injuries are created equal. Um, and, and that's obviously not the, it's a shortened version of that argument, but, but it's still, the point still stands. And I just, I can't get behind it because and the best example I have, and this is the, the argument that Aton and I have a lot is Dalvin cook is just as quote unquote injury prone as Leonard Fournette. First and foremost, I think injury prone is not a good nomenclature because that means that all players who get injured are injury prone. So a lot of people labeled Keenan Allen as injury prone, though he had like just basically three freak incidents where he broke a collarbone, broke or had a lacerated kidney, and then he tore his ACL. All three unrelated, but still labeled as an injury prone player. And now he's a wide receiver one in basically everybody's rankings and has finished there the top in the last two seasons. And I don't, I don't know if he may not have missed a game in the last two seasons either, but um, so the art, like I said, the argument that Aton and I have is that Dalvin cook is just as injury prone as Leonard Fournette. And I don't, I just, I don't buy it. And he starts to point towards the shoulder issues he had in college and then the ACL injury and then the hamstring strains, which I feel, and, and I think most uh, doctors will, will say this too. Of course, I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of doctors because, you know, I have a medical medical degree, but Wait, is that true? No, I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, was like, I, I knew you were a scientist, but I was like, wait, no, did I'm you not. have to? No, I am not. A, I am not a medical doctor. Huh. I'm not, I'm not doctor. I'm not Dr. Ken, the, uh, the comedian and doctor. Um, but so hamstring issues are usually associated with the, with the recovery of ACL tears. And we've seen that throughout history and it has to do with compensation. So I view Dalvin cook's hamstring issues last season as part of that ACL tear in 2017. And we saw him once he got a year out uh, uh, or a year past that ACL injury, he started to come back and started to play a lot better. And I don't know if he was an RB1 the second half of the season or not, but he was up there. And the shoulder injuries, obviously, in the ACL have nothing to do with each other. And he hasn't had shoulder issues since. He, I mean, and you can make the argument, well, he's only played in whatever, 12 14 games, but I mean, he still hasn't had shoulder ish- issues since 2016, uh, which he, he, I mean, f- full disclosure, he, he first injured that shoulder in 2014. He re-injured it in 2016. Granted. Okay. But he hasn't had the issue since. I mean, it's been 
three seasons, three years now since he's had that injury. So, but on, on the flip side of that is Leonard Fournette, who's had ankle issues since junior, a junior in college. He had two uh, injuries in 2017 with his ankles. Um, and I don't know if we, uh, I, I, for, I can't tell you that his hamstring issues were associated with ankle issues. Sorry. His hamstring issues last year were associated with his ankle issues, but the ankle issues are kind of a recurring thing. And anecdotally, I know exactly what ankle issues can be because I had to have surgery last year on my foot and ankle because I've sprained my ankle so many times that I, I tore uh, tendons or I tore partially tore a tendon. I tore ligaments. Um, you loosen ligaments basically every time that you sprain your ankle. And this has been ongoing since college for Leonard Fournette. Um, and, and you can make almost the same case for Kiki Kuti where he's had soft tissue injury since college as well. And he had three, I mean, it's tough to say that he's, he has a hamstring issue just because it was all in the same year and soft tissue injuries usually take a while to heal. Um, so I, I can't say for sure that's the issue, but he also had a groin pull in college. So he's had a quote unquote history of soft tissue injuries. I, I think it still is going to take, if he gets injured again this year, then it's something I'm worried about. It's something I'm keeping an eye on at this point. But the, the point for all of this is, is that not all injuries are created equal. I don't think Dalvin Cook's injury prone because he's had issues, a, a, a few issues all over his body that really had none had to do with the other. Same with Keenan Allen. Same And Leonard Fournette, you can't say that. Kiki Kuti, necessarily, you can't say that right now. Another, another good example, Jordan Reed, foot issues constantly. And you can say that that dude is injury prone. Um, so I, I just, we need to be careful about saying who you need to worry about when it comes to injuries versus who you don't um, in, in terms of long-term injuries. Yeah, I guess my, my biggest, my biggest takeaway with this is that to me, I, and let's look at Dalvin cook, Dalvin cook. When we go back to his college career, 2014, Toward, you know, had the shoulder labrum tear, missed significant time. 2015, um, had an ankle sprain. It was unspecified, a grade one. He only missed a game. Uh, but then 2016, retore that shoulder. 2017, in the NFL, had the ACL tear. 2018, um, ended up with hamstring strains. Uh, grade one, missed a game. Grade two, after that, missed four games. So basically from 2014 through 2018, every season he's played, he's missed significant time with injuries. So, I mean, to me, whether that injury is the same or not, to say that he is not prone to getting injured at this point is is difficult pill for me to swallow because every season in the force in his last four seasons, he's missed a good amount of time with injuries. So, I mean, yeah, you're 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 right. It's not like it's it's predictable, and it's not like we know what injury he's going to. He's not more susceptible to an ACL injury or, or, you know, uh, um, an ACL tear again, because he already had one, but it, to say that he is not, you know, more prone towards injury to me is, is 
it's difficult. I can't say it because I, you know, this, this history that he has shows that he has had injuries every season over the past four seasons. So it's concerning to me. Um, so when I look at that, I would say that this player is prone to injury, not the same injury, but is prone to getting hurt. Like it's happened each of the past four seasons. That's almost like saying a receiver who scores a thousand, who has a thousand yards four seasons in a row, isn't consistent because you can't project that he's going to have a fifth season of a thousand yards in a row. It's like, well, I I've seen it happen. It's happened on the regular basis. So to me at this point, it's almost more likely to happen again than not to happen, I guess is, is, is my, my, my takeaway so, with it. So here's the problem though, James, what injury would you say is likely to occur for Dalvin cook? Oh, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what injury it is, and um... that and and that's exactly the point to me. Is I mean, in order for us to actually use this as an actionable thing, to so to me, the term injury prone is meant to be actionable. It's meant to say, you know, that we have to we have to avoid this player. We have to consider this with this player because there's a possible there's a there's a good chance that this that this occurs. With Leonard Fournette, we can say which injury it is that's likely to occur. Like okay. Stompy said, it's it's the freaking ankles. Like he that he's they're made out of soup. But with Dalvin Cook, I mean, it, to say that he's likely to get injured is is tough to do if you can't say what injury is likely to occur. So then, let, let me ask you a question. Um, Jordan Reed yeah. has been hurt, and he he I I, I think. I think he is the, the 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 poster boy for injury prone. What injury would likely keep him out? Is there not one? Is he not injury prone? Uh, he, foot. He's foot. yeah. It's the foot for him. The other. Well, what about for, the foot? I mean, there's got to be a specific injury that we have to be worried about, right? Like with Fournette, it's the ankle. It's not the foot. It's the ankle. So what? Well, it's I mean, are the, we worried about a, a broken foot? Is there a bone in the foot? What What are we worried about specifically? with Jordan Reed getting hurt. Well, he's kind of had both, right? I mean, it's been soft tissue and and broken bones. And in bo- in both cases, I mean, it does create a little bit of a soft point, you know, a, a little bit of a you know, a repeatable injury. Uh so that's part of the problem. The other thing with him is he is there are kind of a lot of concussions. It doesn't mean that he's more likely to get concussed, but it does mean that he's playing a violent position and they they end up getting hit you know pretty frequently that's kind of the job of a tight end and the next concussion you know it's going to it's going to keep him out for a while because what we do know with concussions is each one is worse than the last one you know generally speaking so you know he's he's likely if he does get concussed he's likely to miss a significant, significant amount of time with that as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got several kind of weak points here, which is where, you know, it's one of the few cases where I'm actually willing to apply the term injury prone. So Delvin cook has had the same shoulder tear two two years, um, two times in his career uh, of four years, really, when we go back the past four years. And then he's had two injuries that we, we can, I mean, you guys have basically said that you kind of attribute to the ACL tear, but we wouldn't say that either of those would make him injury prone. 
I would I would call those all part of one injury. Mm-hmm. The uh, you you bring the shoulder the, tear was the, two two no 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 no, no 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 yeah the the two the the shoulder tear is its own thing yes you I mean you're right and we do have to take that into consideration but like I said it's been three three years since he's had an issue with that shoulder so uh, meanwhile like like a guy like Jordan Reed. He's had soft tissue injuries year after year. He's had bone issues year after year. And it's not like he's taking a break like Keenan Allen. Like you, I hope you're not labeling Keenan Allen as injury prone then. No, I, basically what I'm saying is that I don't I, personally, I don't care what injury it is and whether or not the, the actual injury is predictable. If every year I look and there is a guy that is missing time because every year they're hurt, I don't know that I care too much what the injury is. I, I'm probably just staying away unless their ADP starts reflecting the fact that I can only count on them for 10 to 12 games. Um, if it doesn't show that, which Delvin Cook certainly doesn't, then then I'm staying away. Um, and I think Delvin Cook is in dangerous territory with, you know, um, if, if he doesn't play a full year, he only plays seven to eight games this year, regardless of what the injury is. I mean, I think we just listed all the running backs, Stompy, that um, are coming into the league uh, in, in the episode previous to this that we recorded, um, and and you went off about how talented that group is. Well, if all those guys come into the league, Delvin Cook becomes very replaceable. So um, to me, it's because of the injuries, not because of his talent, if he does get replaced. So um, I definitely think that to me, I, I don't. I, I guess that's my difference: is that I don't care what the injury is. I don't care if the actual injury is predictable. I just care that if if I can't count on the guy um, to be healthy for for a majority of the season, because year after year it seems like he's missing time with one injury or another. Um, I, I'm to me that is that is almost the definition of prone to being injured. And and that's understandable, but I, I mean, really, the rebuttal is: How did you feel about Keenan Allen? before 2017 because Keenan Allen had basically four straight years of injuries where he had a, a sprained MCL. He had a fractured collarbone. He had a lacerated kidney, and then he had a torn ACL. Like mm-hmm. you obviously, or at, at least how I'm interpreting your argument is he would have been injury prone. Correct. Uh, yes. Um, I, 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 here's what I will say with Keenan Allen, because it is a totally different, um, totally different set of circumstances. And the reason why uh, in my eyes it is, is because his rookie year, he showed what he could do. He stayed healthy. He had over a thousand receiving yards and eight touchdowns. Um, I, I, I saw what he can do when healthy. Um, he didn't really have a lot of those concerns um, to me, you know, after his rookie season, he had already shown that he could play, you know, what did he play? He played 16 games, didn't he? His rookie year. Um, he played 15. He played, played 15. He played yeah, 15 games. So MCL injury. Yeah. Yeah. He played, he played 15 games and the year after that he played 14. So, I mean, he had already proven in, in two seasons that he could play the majority of, of, you know, of the snaps and that, you know, he he's, so yeah, he did have that, but it was almost after he had proven that, Hey, look, I can be for the most part healthy. I can play 15 games. You can count on me for 15 games of the fantasy season. So to me, that mean that meant a lot. Whereas his injuries kind of came in the middle of his career and he also didn't have four years straight of it, you know? So that to me is, you know, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the one last thing I will say is that 
the position he plays is not nearly as physical as the position Dalvin Cook plays. Dalvin Cook's going to get hit an awful lot more than Keenan Allen will, and that that scares me, especially when, I mean, you're either weeding with your shoulder or you're getting hit in the knees. Um, you know, that to me is concerning when you've had multiple shoulder slash knee injuries. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the way I'll look at it is, is that I do think he is injury prone. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, fine. That's uh, well, wrong, we, did, we didn't we didn't reprogram that that distortion, I suppose. But um, we we do need to move on to some other ones. So, James, you've got one for us. Oh yeah, this is wonderful. After I just went ahead and uh, and crapped all over Stompy in years, um, I, I get to go with one. Okay. So um, the the belief that three starting quarterbacks. That's enough in Superflex. You don't have to draft anymore. You got three. You're good. That that's the belief that I hear um, from a lot of people who are you know drafting in Superflex startups. And the reality is, the more starting quarterbacks you have in Superflex, the better off you are. And look, I'm not saying just take starting quarterbacks just for the sake of having them. What I'm saying though is that their value in Superflex, quarterbacks' value in Superflex is very high. So if you if, you're, if your highest-ranked player is a quarterback and you've already got three, don't be afraid to take a fourth. Take a fifth. You know, I mean, you have three, but what if one gets hurt? Now, all of a sudden, you're not covering bye weeks. Um, you know, what if one gets replaced? And we see it every year, you know. I mean, even Jameis Winston, last year he got suspended, and then, it, you know, there was rumors he might not be starting. If Fitzpatrick didn't have a bad game the game before he got, yeah, Winston came back, I, I don't think Winston would have gotten that job back right away. So, I mean, there's so many things that could happen just by having three. It doesn't mean you you met the bare minimum in Superflex, in my opinion. Take four, take five, heck, take six. I, you can never have too many. The reason being is because if you find a hole later in in uh, in your season that needs to be filled, you need a running back, you need a wide receiver, you can deal a quarterback for a premium and you can get either a top-notch player at that position or you can get you know a, a lesser quarterback and – you know, and a player that can help you contribute at those positions later because people are going to need quarterbacks, especially in Superflex. So uh, just this 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 falsehood that I, I have three, so I'm good, uh, or, hey, I've got three pretty decent options so I can deal this, uh, you know, Joe Flacco here or something. Man, I don't know that that's really the route that you want to go, and, and that's just my opinion, but um, but I'll say that. I, I, I don't know that you really – want to deal a fourth option or a fifth option or just not draft a fourth or a fifth starting quarterback just because you already have three a freaking man i was gonna say i don't think john's got anything to add to that <laughs> no yeah Beautiful. not really Beautiful. so i could gonna, if i need to but we'll see yeah, i'm gonna say something pretty sacrilegious here don't do it i'm gonna do it uh, i've get over i've stated before that I'm okay with only having two starting quarterbacks. Oh, you are the Not worst. I know. <laughs> Hold on. So I'm, uh, I'm saying I'm saying I'm okay with it. I prefer three. Okay. Um, and the reason is that I've had success because I'm good at fantasy football of drafting other positions that can fill in those bye weeks for a starting quarterback. And yes, I'm not saying it's a good strategy. I'm just saying you 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 can be fine if those quarterbacks do not get injured. Keyword is if there. But 
let's say you have, and I'm looking at one of my rosters right now. Let's say you only have Matthew Stafford and Lamar Jackson as your starting quarterbacks, but I have Christian McCaffrey, Sony Michelle, David Johnson, Darius Geis as my starting running backs. I feel relatively safe there currently with being able to start one of those running backs in the Superflex spot. Well, okay, but in that that somewhat works. You know, the the top 20 running backs all outscored um, you know, the the top 25 or the the 25th quarterback right. in Superflex. So, so yeah, it's it's possible. You have to have a lot of top 20 running backs. You know, you've got to fill both starting running back spots plus all your flex spots before you get to super flex for that to work, but it's, it's, it's possible for the short term, but here's the problem is what if one of those guys does get hurt? Oh no, I it's, it's, it's a very valid point. That's why I said, I'm okay with it. I'm not, I'm not advising it by any means. Three is absolute minimum. You should be coming out of, and it's tough, like 16 team, so I'm in uh, Dynasty Trades HQ Listener League, and it's a 16-team super flex. And it's like you're going to be lucky to come out with two starting running backs but in or quarterbacks. But in standard 12-team leagues, you should at minimum be coming out with three starting quarterbacks, yes. In that 16-teamer, I'd still have four or five. Oh, I know you would. Yeah. You would also because, not – yeah, I don't – Because yeah, to I, me, you have to. You, it, it is, to me, it is a necessity. And that's the big, that's the big thing right there is, you know, if, if somebody gets hurt, if one of your two gets hurt, you have no way of covering the other one on bye weeks. And the only way to get one at that point to go find a quarterback is, you know, is, is in a trade and you have to pay way too much especially when you come talk to me because I'm the only one with enough quarterbacks to not only film, you know, satisfy my own needs, but also to be able to trade them away without getting a quarterback back in return. I'm the only one with that ability with five quarterbacks, you know, so, so, and you're going to end up paying, you're going to end up paying a lot to, to make that trade. So, but that's the only way that you're going to get a quarterback that allows you to fill out a valid lineup. So, and I mean, I, I guess it depends a little bit on your leagues. And this is kind of something that I'm coming around to a little bit because I've got several leagues where you're required to start a valid lineup. You have to have a quarterback at the QB1 position who's going to score fantasy points. So, and, and in a lot of cases, I well, not a lot of cases, but I've got a few leagues where even plugging in Taysom Hill as your starting as your QB one, that's not going to fly. They're going to accuse you of tanking, and they're going to start docking you fan or uh, draft picks. And I, I mean, it, that probably shouldn't be the case in most dynasty leagues, but the fact that that exists, I mean, just the ability to fill out a valid lineup and avoid you know consequences avoid punishment um, to me that's that's compelling enough to make sure i've got a minimum of three 
so that I've got a quarterback one at all times, even if somebody's hurt and somebody else is on by. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, from there, just kind of a strategic standpoint, from a trade value standpoint, I mean, the more you can get, the better. And especially in those bigger, deeper leagues. So that's another thing, by the way. To me, 16 teams is kind of too big for a super flex. But if I'm going to do that, then I'm I'm going to take advantage and I'm going to create a huge scarcity at quarterback by loading up on them. Okay. I agree. I agree. I would definitely do that. I mean, 16-team league, there's 32 starters. If you take a starter from somebody else, that's that's huge. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that strategy. Time for a listener league update. Vampire League is back and undergoing a complete reset and redraft with one big exciting change. For those who don't remember, the Super Show started a Vampire Dynasty League in 2018. Three divisions of 11 listeners and one co-host is the Vampire. The Vampire gets one selection in the startup snake draft and otherwise sits out the entire draft while the rest of you build your Dynasty team. Nine starting spots, two super flex, and seven regular flex, tiered PPR, point per carry, point per first down, tight end premium, and big play, big day bonuses. But be careful, if you lose to the vampire, he shall feast and gain power. Lose to the vampire and he can steal a player or pick from your roster. Now for the big new twist. We're expanding from three divisions to four, so plenty of room available, even if you aren't a returning player. And we're bringing in some heavy hitters to play the vampire roles. The Super Show will team up to own one of the four vampires, so square off against a team of Stompy, James the Brain, and myself. Or you can take on the Trade Addicts podcast. Dynasty Outhouse and Brian Haar will be wheeling and dealing as they try to usher in the era of darkness. Attic style. Or face off with the open bar. J Mike and Gabe the Man Bun are never late, always on time, and they're bloodthirsty, and it is happy hour. Last but not least, you could test yourself against the creator of the Vampire League format, the original Prince of Darkness, Tom Kislingberry. Tom Degenerate's twisted mind invented the vampire. Don't you think he also perfected it? To apply, DM the Superflex Super Show account on Twitter at Superflex Show. Tell us you want in and which division you'd like to join if you have a preference. Give us a couple options just to make sure that we can get you in one that is going to be satisfactory to you. If your podcast catcher gives you the option to rate and review, give us both a rating and a review and send us a screenshot. It's first come, first served but priority given to those who rate and review. It's an all-star cast of vampires in the ultimate Dynasty League experience, so bring your cross and your garlic, sharpen your wooden stakes, and secure your spot now. All right, so I'll give you my um, my next cognitive distortion here. Draft capital matters. That's the distortion. We're talking from an NFL standpoint, by the way. But 
it you know it, it and it the truth is that it somewhat can matter to me i think that josh jacobs draft capital for instance i think that that matters i th- and i think that that's why we're drafting him so high you know because that matters i also think that you know people are, are here's where it starts to fall apart though is to me david montgomery is in a better situation than josh jacobs is a more talented running back than josh jacobs but the fact that he was drafted in the third round, even though he was drafted with the first pick that the Chicago Bears had, and they actually moved up to do it, it, it to me that draft capital should matter just as much. But here's the bigger problem, though. This is this is the other thing. This is the other reason that this sometimes falls apart. And we've got tons of examples, but I'm going to stick at the running back position with Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Obviously, Penny drafted in the first round, and people are just convinced that that means that he is necessarily going to be the starting running back in Seattle at some point. And I don't think it has to work that way. You know, they got Chris Carson in what the sixth round, I believe, uh, the year before, and he missed the year with a broken leg. And you know, the the real way to look at this in the way that I believe that NFL front offices look at this, I've said this before, but I'm, I'm going to rehash this um, until we until we get it, you know, completely scrubbed in and reprogrammed. But take away the names for a minute. Basically, what you did is you spent a sixth round pick one year and a first round pick the other year and you got a starting running back. It doesn't have to be the first round running back. You just all all that matters is what you spent and what you got. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with Chris Carson being the starting running back in Seattle. Same thing can be applied in Denver with Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. Just because Royce Freeman was a third round pick doesn't mean that he has to start over Philip Lindsay at any point because the reality is Again, you you spent a third round pick and you got an undrafted free agent and out of that you got a starting running back. It does not matter which one it is. All that matters is what you spent and what you got. I mean, you you gave two of the best examples of that. I mean, we did and and you didn't talk about uh Russell Wilson versus Matt Flynn um and that's not necessarily mm-hmm. a draft capital thing but that's a contract and payment thing Flynn was signed for a lot more than Russell Wilson was in his rookie deal obviously and Wilson won that starting job so yeah and and I think it speaks to draft capital means that a front office likes a player generally and that to me means that if a undrafted free agent or a later round guy out performs the earlier round guy that front offices are not infallible. They met, they swing and miss all the time. I mean, John and I both know we, we've seen it in Denver a lot um, under John Elway is that swinging and missing a, on quarterbacks. And I won't get into drew lock with, John, <laughs> but it, I, I was actually going to bring that up as an example, though, because they did the same thing here. They drafted Drew Locke in the second round and they ended up w- with uh, undrafted free agent and Brett Ripien. Again, it, the same thing applies. 
you know, it, obviously Drew Locke has the upper hand, but that doesn't mean you necessarily go with Drew Locke as the guy. At the end of the day, if it ends up being Brett Ripien, if he ends up being the better quarterback and he ends up being the long-term starter for the Denver Broncos, you still gave up the exact same thing. You know, it's not like you you had this big loss by spending a second-round pick on Drew Locke. Uh, Robert Robert Griffin III and Kirk Cousins is another example of it. Yeah, that's a great one too, yeah. So yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think it's and Peter Peter's gonna get angry with us and, and probably start t- subtweeting or adding us when he hears <laughs> this. But yeah, I mean there's there's examples all over the place. And uh, but I guess the counter counter argument to that is that this in the NFL guys who have higher draft capital get more chances. So I would argue that, yes, draft capital does matter a ton, but in terms of, like, guys beating out other guys, like, I know you and I were pretty – we were pretty early on Philip Lindsay because we follow the Broncos. We were following all the news coming out of training camp. Pay attention to that when it comes to these rookies especially. If – if he if there's a player that's getting praise in rookie mini camp in OTAs and then in training camp there's it's it's one of those if there's smoke there's a fire situations so just because Royce Freeman was a third round draft capital doesn't mean he can't get beat out by undrafted free agent Philip Lindsay so that's the other thing is don't rest on your laurels of draft capital Pay attention to the actual news, everything that's going on. So, yes, while I somewhat agree, I I do think draft capital, I think, has more weight than what John thinks. But I do agree that you as a fantasy football player should not be resting on that laurel. You should be paying attention regardless. Yeah, no, I agree with with what you said, Stompy. That's that's absolutely true. But I will I will say this. I to me, draft capital matters until the end of the first game. The end of the first regular season game is when you can throw it out the window because it's it's a foot in the door. It's a you know, hey, I'm tied to this pick as a general manager because it was a high first round pick or it was a higher pick. We want to keep this person involved. We want to keep them. But like John said, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If, if you have Chris Carson that you spent a sixth round pick on, let's just say, uh, let's, yeah, you know what, we'll just take Chris Carson out of it. Let's say you spent a first round pick on a running back, but you have a, a, a free agent, you know, an undrafted free agent that is tearing up camp and he proves to be that starting running back. It doesn't matter. It, it, you know, if he's better than the guy you drafted in the first round, it does not matter. As long as you have a number one running back on the roster, it doesn't matter where it came from. And, you know, it does initially because, like you said, uh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right, Stompy. You know, first round picks tend to get more opportunity. And the reason why they tend to get more opportunity, though, is because, you know, you're tied to that pick and, uh, 
you know, you don't have a better option. That's normally why you take a pick so high. But when you do find you have a better option, when you do find that, hey, look, this guy is performing the way that we thought, you know, our first round pick was going to perform. At that point, it no longer matters. It doesn't matter to GMs. As a matter of fact, if anything, it matters to them because they say, hey, look, this guy's an undrafted guy. We're paying him pennies compared to what we're paying our first round pick you know, at this position, especially if it's a quarterback, you know, so yeah, I mean, it matters to them because then, you know, they, they can save money by it. So yeah, to me, draft capital uh, matters until that first game after the first game, when the chips are on the table and you see how players are being used. And if you can see that, Hey, look, my first round pick isn't performing like this undrafted, you know, free agent is, you know, then you have to, you have to realize, Hey, look, maybe I'm valuing him too high or, you know, I can take the sit and wait approach, but I'm not getting anything for a little bit um, unless something happens where this guy falls on his face or this guy in front of him uh, gets hurt. Because, you know, at that point, you, you kind of realize that, you know, just what NFL teams realize, they're going to start the best player regardless of, of of his draft capital. And one last thing, I, I Travis... Travis Rasmussen, I miss you to death, bud, but I really hope you're listening to this one because draft capital don't matter. Does not matter. And this is where I think that we need to keep an eye on this is uh, uh, there are a couple situations to consider um, this year. And I would I would keep a, an eye on Arizona where Andy Isabella has a draft capital, but Hakeem Butler fits a little bit better in that offense to me. I, that doesn't necessarily mean that Butler is going to end up being the better player, but um, I, I think that we uh, we need to ignore draft capital and keep our eyes on what actually develops there. We also need to keep an eye on San Francisco, where I think that Jalen Hurd has an opportunity to uh, to move in. He's He's got a much harder depth chart to climb. And I, I'm certainly not going to go so far as to say that he's a better player than Debo Samuel. But I think that we need to keep an eye on that one. I think that that could be another one of these cases where, you know, draft capital only, only gets one guy so far. So let's move on to Stompy's last one here and uh, get another cognitive distortion. This is going to be me flaming, starting a flame war on Twitter. <laughs> Which, oh, man. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus today. Yeah. But it's coming. <laughs> well, I, at some point, like we're just going to have an all out, like taken down everybody in the Twitter community and it's, just, <laughs> it's going to be glorious. Uh, but so this is a, for my, are the analysts out there. So the, the belief is your opinion is as valid as everyone else's and you are above reproach. And I wish I could say the thing I have wrote for truth but I'm not going to because this is a you'd make me I'd quote have unquote family podcast. But <laughs> get out of here, good God! So first and foremost, if you're going to be an analyst in this community and you're going to put your work out there, you are going to be criticized. People are going to disagree with you. You need to stop being so damn defensive about that. People, we, we, we all don't have the same, the, the same opinions on players, on teams. So 
don't get defensive with me. Let's have a discussion. Don't, don't start getting defensive with me. Don't start bringing in your cronies to try and protect you and to defend you because somebody doesn't like what you had to say. Not to mention that just because you put effort and work into something does not mean that you don't get to, or you, you shouldn't be criticized. There's an example uh, a couple days ago where James criticized a guy. It wasn't even a criticism. It was a disagreement about how he interpreted a, a rookie player. And James said, that's not at all what I said. And he had multiple big names in the community come, come in and say, oh, I saw the same thing without actually calling on them to say the same thing. And then there was a bunch of nonsense about don't let the uh, retweeters get you down. You did awesome work. This is fantastic. That's nonsense. You put your work out there. You opened it to criticism. And you, you might be wrong. Guess what? You do have an opinion, but that opinion can be very wrong. And it's not, not all opinions are created equal. So quit being so defensive. Have a conversation. And quit thinking that you are above being criticized because you put extra work into something. If you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen. Pretty, oh my God. Pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anything to add to that, James, or, or do we move on to yours? I'm, I'm going to add one, one thing. Right straightforward, and I don't think that, uh, that you're going to get any disagreement. No, no the, the only thing I'm going to add to it is um, – is I mean I it, look we have a responsibility to to you know provide our our followers and the people who rely on us for fantasy information to to be transparent and to show what we saw and to to state so you know if I, if I state that I see something different than somebody else may have saw then I, I just am kind of looking for confirmation hey did I see this right is this some do I have to go back on tape and look. Um, you know, is this something that, is there something I missed, you know, and I, I'm not perfect. I miss things. Um, so I want to provide the best content I can for those people that are relying on the information that I'm providing. And, you know, by, by being able to put that out and say, Hey, look, did I miss something? And then to get confirmation that I didn't miss something. Um, it's not, it's not me trying to, trying to crap on anything. You know, if, if you see it and, you know, it was your, your work that, you know, I was questioning, I, I, just want to know if I missed anything. I'm happy to have a back and forth and have an, have a conversation on what you saw, what I saw, and kind of you know where where the truth may lie. And and uh, I'm I'm good with that. Promoting conversation to me is how we learn. But uh, you know, just just calling somebody out and just saying, oh, you know, you crapped all over my work or you crapped all over someone else's work or something, um, really doesn't doesn't benefit anybody. It doesn't you know it it just it, it makes for a messy situation. And I think Soundy's right. I mean. It, when you put your work out there um, for the public to review, you're going to get support and you're going to get some people who question it. There's going to be people who, who don't support it, who ask you to defend your stance. And if you can't defend your stance, you probably shouldn't have put it out there. So um, that's all I'm going to add to it though. Um, I agree with what Stompy said for the most part. On that, this applies to people who decide to throw hot takes out there without actually backing it up. And then when they are questioned, they say, Oh, it was just a hot take. I, I was just, I don't need to have a, an opinion or not, not even opinion. I don't need to have evidence for it. No, you do. Because guess what? Your job in this community, if, if you're going to call yourself an analyst, is to help people out. 
And if you're not giving analysis, then you are hurting the community and the people that look up to you for advice rather than helping. Yep. And the problem with that is you throw out 40 of those and you hit on one and that's the one that's going to get you hit on one of your 40 ridiculous takes that you had no justification for. But that's all we're going to hear about is the one that you got right. And so that's the danger of that is that it's going to be advertised as, you know, um, you know, I, I got this right. Look at me. Look at me. When in actuality, you know, you put out, you know, 40, 50 hot takes and you, you really hit on one of them. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, it's dangerous. All right. Well, James, your uh, your last one is kind of in the same vein. So let's hear it. Yeah, it gets complaining a little bit, too. Um, so the belief that white knighting is an act of chivalry um, is is totally ridiculous. There's no need to come to someone's defense, especially if they aren't in need of it. I mean, we make we make mountains out of molehills sometimes, especially on Twitter. And, you know, we see a comment that we take a certain way or that someone might have taken a certain way. And we absolutely blow it up and we retweet it. Can you believe this person and their intolerance? And you know what? Sometimes there are people that are intolerant on Twitter and sometimes they do have to be called out for it. But, you know, you don't need to take it upon yourself to call somebody out. If, if somebody commented to somebody, to someone else who isn't you and they didn't seem to have a problem with it, you don't, you don't have to. You know, you don't have to, to come to their aid and say, you know, I it just you're, you're basically causing more problems for no reason. You know, if I'm having a conversation with somebody on Twitter and I tweet something um, towards them, you know, and and we have a back and forth and then you go, well, wait a minute. What do you mean by this? Are you trying to say that this person that you're in a conversation with isn't, you know, smart enough to understand what you were, uh, you know, like that? there's no need. Like, you know, you don't know what's going on. There could be conversations in DMs. You don't need to come to the rescue of somebody who doesn't need to be rescued is basically what it is. I see it on Twitter all the time. It's basically people who just walk around and declare themselves like Twitter police. And they just want to, you know, they just want to get involved and, and make something when there's, there's really nothing there. And, and it just seems to be happening more and more, especially with Twitter analysts. And, and it's a shame too, because I really feel like this community can be, can be at its best when, you know, we put aside our differences and we have conversation and we grow from it, but um, it's, it's not happening lately. Lately, there's a lot of finger pointing and, you know, third parties coming in and pointing fingers, uh, you know, in a conversation they weren't even a part of. So yeah, to me, you don't need to white knight. You don't need to come in and, and defend the honor of somebody, um, especially if you don't understand the full context. Um, I've been guilty of this in the past. I've made sure to correct it. I do not um, comment on anything that I feel like I don't know the full context of. So um, that being said, you just don't have to do that. You don't have to come out and try to uh, try to try to be the uh, the knight in shining armor for somebody that doesn't doesn't need a knight. So I, I actually saw a good argument about white knighting saying that white knighting actually might be more insulting the, than the actual insult, because what it basically says is, oh, that person doesn't know how to defend themselves. So I have to do it for them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a very valid argument. And, and the other part of white knighting is it, it seems like, People are trying to suck up to some of those people that they're white knighting for. I mean, I, I don't, why do you think that's helpful? Like nobody cares what you have to say about this situation. You don't need, and that's the other part is you don't need to say anything about every or something about every situation that arises where somebody's criticized or called out. 
I, it just, it's, it's too much. Like you don't need people. If you're in this community, you should be able to defend yourself in terms of what you believe. And I don't know why people feel the need to come to everybody's aid, especially, and, and this is just more true for the women in this community than anything is that the, we can, I think we can all recognize that this community right now is dominated by men and there's just not a lot of women out there. And it seems like any slight against a woman becomes a white knight situation for all the men in the community. And I'm quite sure that most of these women don't need you to come to their aid. And I'm quite sure that you don't need to come to their aid because they know what they're talking about. So stop it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. And I think a lot of it is that we, a lot of people see the need for, for diversity. We need, we need, uh, you know, different takes from, from everyone, from, you know, every sex, every, every, you know, uh, stretch of the stretch of this earth, you know, we can get something different to, to bring to, uh, to our analysis, then that's always good. And, and there's definitely a need for more women in this, in this, you know, as, as analysts, uh, in fantasy and especially on Twitter. So I think that we all, we all see that need and we embrace it. But the problem is, is that, you know, you can't, like you said, you can't over coddle, you know, because that's not going to help, uh, help anyone grow. You know, I mean, that's, it, it just isn't. So, um, and I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's needed. Um, most of the women that I, I interact with on Twitter that are analysts can handle themselves very, very well and, uh, and, and know exactly, um, you know, how to, how to, uh, um, how to take care of themselves on Twitter in any type of a Twitter battle. So I, I don't think it's needed, um, to be honest. So that's, that's kind of where I'll go with it is that, uh, I just, I don't think it's helpful and I don't think it's needed, um, because, you know, again, I think uh, I think these women that are analysts right now are, are doing a fantastic job on their own and they don't really need anyone to, to kind of white knight for them. All right. So, yeah, this uh, this was this has been a very psychological two part episode and uh, just got a little bit therapeutic. At least I hope so. I, I think we need we need football. Not completely. I, I need to start. I need to start throwing people under the bus at some point. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know, and I'm I'm proud of you guys for not using any names. Um, but I know that that's uh, that's probably coming, and I can only I can only push it off for so long. But um, yeah, like I said, I I, I it, it's time for football to start. There's uh, there's just we've got nothing but drama at this yep. point to analyze. Oh, true. We'd, we don't have enough enough actual football, so we're kind of manufacturing things to analyze, and uh, that's where people end up going at each other. And I, I mean, I have to admit, I've been a part of it too. I've uh, I've gotten into it with some people over some pretty stupid stuff lately. But, um, so but let's move on here and uh, get back to actual football a little bit, actual fantasy football. Um, actual dynasty football and i'm gonna give you my last one here the belief is that you need to come out of the start uh, out of your startup draft with a valid lineup and this is something that afflicts a lot of people it, you know you you start to feel like oh i have to draft a tight end here because i don't have any yet i don't i don't have or even you know even the more primary positions a wide receiver i don't i 
I missed out on all those high-end wide receivers. I need to take one because right now I could not fill out a, a lineup. I have to start three wide receivers, and I don't have any yet. We're in the ninth round, and all I've been taking are quarterbacks and running backs so far. And first of all, it's June. We don't need to set valid lineups anytime soon. So the the truth of the matter is what we should be trying to do. And this is something that that I kind of stole from da- Dynasty Outhouse, uh, our good friend Russ Fisher. But you want to come out of the startup with just the most value possible on your roster. You can, you have got plenty of time to start plugging in those holes and make that turn that into a valid lineup. So if you draft a bunch of quarterbacks and you know we talk about this all the time but the more quarterbacks you have the fewer quarterbacks there are in circulation that can be traded away. You're going to have a lot of teams with one, two, maybe three quarterbacks and a lot of them are going to feel like they need more and the only way that they can get them is to trade for them. Well, there's only one person who can afford to trade away quarterbacks without getting quarterbacks in return. And that's a guy or girl who drafted five or six. The other position is running backs. Now, I don't agree with this one because we know that running backs have a short shelf life. We know that they last, you know, on average, their their career expectancy is just over three years. And we see this play out all the time. We see running backs lose their jobs for a variety of reasons and lose a ton of value. But the fact that they have value right now and that's not going to go away, capitalize on that. Draft a bunch of running backs and you can use the combination of quarterbacks and running backs. The easiest position to acquire, I mean, besides possibly tight end, the easiest position to acquire is wide receiver. So if you draft, if you draft heavy at quarterback, heavy at running back, you've got the most trade value you can possibly get that way. And then you start moving them, start trading them for wide receivers. That's how you can build up the core of your team with the wide receivers. But don't worry about what the lineup is going to look like because we've still got a couple, we've still got several months here before we have to set lineups. Need points, grab a running back. Need points, grab a running back. Need points, grab <laughs> grab a bombs, mega bombs. That's mega what you do. Bombs, I, bombs. <laughs> I can't. I, I can't agree with you more though, John, on this because. Uh, all right, so so let me tell you a story. I I am in a redraft league. Okay, it, obviously it's redraft. It's not dynasty, but it's a redraft league, and it's one quarterback, right? But here's what drives me insane. I have been in this league for years. I think twelve years. I think going on twelve years now. I have been in this league. I have never won the championship, okay? This is what drives me nuts. There is eight starting spots, one quarterback, two running backs, two receivers, a tight end, a kicker, and a defense. That's right. Kickers and defenses still, right? Okay, whatever. There are at least three of the 11 other owners that are going to draft kickers and defenses before anyone on their bench in this league, and it drives me mad. It drives me insane. Why would you do such a thing? It's the same way when you're when you're drafting for Dynasty in a startup, in a Superflex. Why do you feel the need to fulfill that starting lineup before you start grabbing other guys? Because it, it shouldn't matter. Value is value. Wherever the best value is, wherever the best player is, wherever the guy is that you think, hey, look, 
I'm getting this guy in the sixth round. I had him as a fifth round pick. He's the highest guy on my board. Take him. Take him. Now, eventually there's a, you know, there's a point where you go, I have seven running backs and one receiver. I, I think now is the time I have to kind of bend my 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 board a little bit. Okay, sure. That that's understandable. But to actually feel like you have to fill your starting lineup before you can start filling your bench is asinine to me. Take the best player available. Um, and like John said. You grab those running backs, you grab those quarterbacks, they're not going to lose value. Worst case scenario, you deal one of them and you you make up for some of the lack of depth that maybe receiver or tight end didn't provide. But remember, receiver is so deep. How many receivers on, on are on NFL teams that can contribute in fantasy? I mean, there's so many compared to, to quarterbacks and running backs. There just isn't as many guys at those positions. And then tight end, you have the big three, and then you just got a, a crapshoot. I mean, there's you can just roll the dice and, you know, uh, there are some guys that maybe we like a little bit better, but uh, outside of those top three, I don't know that there's anybody that we really say we got to have. I mean, it could range. That number four tight end could range from guys that you know everyone seems to be high on, like O.J. Howard or Hunter Henry, and it could range all the way down to Christopher Herndon and and Mark Andrews being being the the fourth tight end. There is a lot of names in between there. Kyle Rudolph, David Njoku. I mean, names and names in between there. Um, that could easily be that fourth tight end. So, yeah, I I, I agree with John. I, I totally agree with you, John. Um, no need to fill that starting lineup. Just draft best available player. James kind of made the point I was going to make here is obviously it it it's within reason. You don't want to just go straight, though I, I do think John would do this at some point, just go straight QBs for the first <laughs> 10 rounds, just see what happens. Very oh possible. my God! I, I, if you ever do that, John, you have to promise me you're going to screenshot me that team because I, I would, I, I would smile ear to ear seeing that. I really would. But yeah, I mean, it, you, you have to do it within reason. So if, if you do do like a zero RB strategy and grab four or five wide receivers, uh, with it with those first five picks. I think you need to start looking at running back, quarterback, what, what have you. And whatever your league settings are there, but I I'll say this. I I'm a little guilty of making a, a startable roster in startups. I get scared when I, when it's, I don't it's hard have a, not to. Well, and I get scared. Like when I, when I don't have a wide receiver in like the fourth round, I'm like, Oh God, I gotta go wide receiver here. Yep. Um, so, but, but it, it's, a, it's a valid point is, and, and I think it really depends on the league too. I've run into some terrible trading situations in leagues before where you could, you can say this and in practice, it, it it's correct um, that you should be going for value the entire time, but that's assuming that your league operates like, let's just say an average dynasty league where you're going to be able to trade for players but there are leagues out there, and, and one of my home leagues is one of these, is that you just can't get anything done, first and foremost, because people who aren't in this community are dummies. And second, because they don't know how to they don't know how to value players. Uh and 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 I'm sure, and this is actually one of I I'll bring I'll bring my four uh, another cognitive distortion in here. How you value players is always valid as the belief and no it's not if you're valuing players that are just like it's just an inane value that does not make your value right 
that makes your value your value, but you could be very wrong on that. There are, this is like, there are such things as stupid questions. And this was one, um, your value may be very dumb and you're not going to get trades because of that. And I think people, I, I think people have seen those leagues or have been in those leagues where you just can't get trades done because values are all over the place and people are too afraid to make trades because they feel like you're, they, they have to win or you're getting taken advantage of. So that's kind of where I have a little bit of fear is like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to get this trade done. So I need to have a valid lineup coming out of this, this startup. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I've, I've, I've talked about this a lot too, but I have leagues that trading is just so difficult. So I, you know, I, I, I get it. The problem is you don't really know that that's going to be the case when you're doing your startup. So, you know, I, I, I don't totally know what the answer is there. I guess you go through your startup drafting for value, and then you find out that you're not going to be able to make some of these trades, but um, I, so a, a great example though, of why this does work. So first of all, this was brought up on dynasty blueprint on the, the latest episode. And, and then, uh, I was tagged in a poll, um, of, uh, somebody who had listened and, uh, and made it into a poll, but the, the trading question was Saquon Barkley for Juju Smith Schuster and Josh Jacobs, you know, that, so the idea here is you could trade a quarterback in or a running back and get back both, a, you know, a, a wide receiver to fill out your lineup. And a good wide receiver, in fact, uh, one of the top, plus a downgrade at running back, but still a very startable running back. And Saquon Barkley is destroying the Juju and Josh Jacobs side, which tells me that you should be able to get even more than that for Saquon Barkley. Now, I think that we've known that. I think that we we all fully acknowledge that Saquon Barkley's value is just out of this world at this point. Um, but I, to me, that's the case with that's going to be the case with a lot of these running backs. So I mean, I I'm kind of curious what you guys would do if like replace Saquon Barkley with Christian McCaffrey. Like, do you think that's a trade you can get done, McCaffrey for Juju and Josh Jacobs? I would need a different running back, but then Jacobs. Yeah, I just so you wouldn't you wouldn't trade McCaffrey for that package. No, but mind you, I'm also a running back fiend. So yeah, but most people are. So I so I mean, I think that that's that that still that still fits this conversation. It's, it's probably fair. Yeah. Yeah. James, would you do that? Would you give up? McCaffrey for Juju and Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I'm with Stompy. I, I think if you kind of replace the running back, I probably would just because I don't buy Jacobs, but as far as value goes, I think that's fair value. I think, uh, I think I'd consider it. I, I think I probably would do it only because I'm starting to, to see the running back value just get overhyped in my opinion. And, uh, and Juju's value to me is, on par with McCaffrey. So I guess if you throw in a guy, even a guy I'm not high on like Josh Jacob that has 
value, you know, as a piece that I could move later. Um, yeah, I would, I would do that. Yeah. And that's the thing. Juju at 23 years old, he could hold his value realistically for up for up to 10 years, you know, whereas Saquon Barkley, I mean, he's not going to last 10 years. I'm sorry to tell everybody that's for sure not going to happen. And, you know, he he might he could definitely be kind of the exception. He could last. He doesn't have much of an injury history, you know, and, and he's he's just built like a freaking tank. So he could definitely last several years. But I mean, he you're going to start to see a value decrease in Saquon Barkley, honestly, as early as next year. I don't know how it's going to happen, so I'm not going to try and predict that part. All I know is a year a year ago at this time we were falling all over ourselves over Todd Gurley, and now look where we're at. So the point is the running backs just have way too much value, and you can get wide receivers who are going to hold their value so much longer, plus something for for those running backs. So uh, you know, forget the lineup, just draft the value and the value in Superflex lies with both quarterbacks and running backs. By the way, my strategy over time has shifted a little bit to, to the running backs. And it's not because I suddenly have this change of heart in the way the running backs are going to perform. It's just because I'm I you guys have beaten me down. I get it. You're willing to pay whatever it takes for the running backs. I'm not talking about you guys specifically. I'm saying like the dynasty universe has beaten me down on the fact that they will pay absolutely anything for a stupid running back, even if it only it only helps you for one year. Even if that guy only helps you for one year, and, and even if it's not even a year, even if you... You got absolutely nothing out of him. In retrospect, you're you still feel like that was the right move. So it, you win. I don't I I don't get it, but I am gonna play the game the way it's the way that it's set in front of me. Welcome. <laughs> no, I'm still fighting it. I, I I think I've swung the other way. I think before I was I I approached things pretty balanced, and now. Now I'm becoming more of a more of a John. Like I'm I'm passing on the running backs early and uh, and hoarding wide receivers. So go figure. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, with that being said, though, we're gonna wrap it up for the week. If you didn't, make sure that you uh, that you go back and listen to uh, the first part of this uh, two part episode. Uh, but as we wrap it up for the week, we're going to ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also subscribe to the DLF Family of Podcasts Mega Feed and get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF. And once you're subscribed, if you give us a rating and review, not all podcatchers give you that option, but on the ones that do, those ratings and reviews help us to expand our reach, get out to a larger audience, involve more people in the conversation. And from there, we can really zero in on the topics that are the most useful to you, the listener. And in the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter at SuperFlexShow. You can also send them to any one of us individually. Stompy's at FFStompy. James is at underscore James the Brain, And I'm at SuperFlexDude. 
We can retweet those polls for you, help you get more votes and comments, and sometimes we bring them here on the podcast and analyze them. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song The Addiction that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah.